With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, Sunday night, the 21st of January, we're still doing splitting airs. And um, we're, right now, um, we've been talking about working out your salvation because we have a part to play in that. Jesus purchased salvation. He is salvation. Everything in it, it's in his name. Jeff did a great job today talking about the power in the name, and um, I was happy about that. It just seemed to all kind of tie together there. But um, everything in the name of Jesus is salvation. That's it. That's it. Defense, deliverance, protection, preservation, victory, prosperity, healing, everything in your life set at one. But we, we have a part to play in causing it to come to pass. So that word work out literally means to cause it to happen, to cause it to come to pass in your life. So it's in a way we're appropriating the grace of God in our lives. And um, so then we started talking about um, the sources and forces, the resources and the source, ah, the forces and the resources that God's made available to us. Um, Sometime back we read a, a little statement about as a natural man living in the natural world, God has given us the wisdom and the knowledge to use all sources and, and uh, resources and forces to our advantage. Well, the same goes in the spirit realm. Um, but we have to know our forces and resources you know, and just be aware of them. I, you know, we all know this stuff. Everything we talk about here is just, it's like old hat. We know this, but it's a matter of just hearing it again, refreshing it, and digging it up again. But, um, so the last, last week we finished talking about um, um, the, the visions, you know, the product of our imagination. That's a force. The resource is our imagination, but the force that comes out of that is, is our vision, our faith vision. We have to know where we're going if we're going to get there. And um, everybody has the, you know, for the whole church, we have the big vision. Sometimes for us one-on-one, um, the vision blurs a little. We don't, you know, we don't always know exactly where God's taking us, but... The clearer that we can see that, the easier it is for us to head that direction. You know, to move in whatever direction God's calling us to go. And um, so we finished talking about that. Now we're going to talk about ears to hear and eyes to see, which are really important. Um, And when I started into this, I mean, you know, I told you, I said, God's been chewing on me about this. This is like, this was hitting home to me. But you realize, at least I do, a lot of mornings, um, I'll, I'll just be reading along, you know, in the Word, reading along, and all of a sudden I go, whoa, what did it just say? You know, let's go back and look at it. And um, you go back and read it again, and you still miss something, like a, a little pronoun or a, 
um, you know, some tiny little article or something that makes all the difference in the scripture. And um, so rather than taking scripture and even when we hear somebody speak about it, it's that sometimes it just comes at us like Charlie Brown, wah, wah, wah. You know, we're not hearing. We're just, you know, it's just going in this ear and out that ear. And even when you see it, you're looking at it, it's still the same thing. So it's more, I think, about being aware of where we're reading, you know, which set of eyes we're reading the scripture, which set of ears we're hearing what what has to be said to us. Um, go to Matthew 13. This is the sower sows the word, but, you know, in Matthew, um, the guys are saying, why do you use parables? You know, why don't you just tell us outright? And she says, because for you guys, it's been given that you could hear and see the mysteries. But for everybody else, you know, I use parables. And then the word there is lest, which is not really good because it makes it sound like so that people can't see and understand. But the word should be perhaps, that perhaps hearing they might hear and see and they might understand. Um, in hopes that I could heal them. You know, that's, his, that's the hope. But the, the truth is, is that, that just reading the surface of Scripture, um, especially with an unregenerate mind or with a mind that's a million miles away, which that's where I sit a lot of times, um, it's, it's powerless, it's useless. And um, the, the mysteries are buried so deep in this Word but they're buried on purpose because only those who, who have a regenerate heart, you have that, those ears to hear and eyes to see, can really see those mysteries and understand them. The natural mind can't wrap their mind around what we're saying. It doesn't make sense. And um, so we need to just kind of be aware of uh, which ears and eyes we're using. But look at Matthew 13. Because Jesus was always saying this. He'd teach something and then he'd say, let him who has ears hear. But everybody had ears. You know, they were all listening or else what was the point of being there? Um, Because there wasn't a show to see, but but he just kept saying, let him who has ears to hear, hear what's being said. Um, Take it in with great understanding. All right, look at verse 9. Um, he's just told in the parable about where the seeds fell on the good soil and you know on the rocky soil and everything. And right at the end of that parable, this is how he finishes it. Look at verse nine. And I'm reading from the Amplified. He who has ears to hear, let him be listening and let him consider and perceive and comprehend by hearing. And then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in perils? Parables, And he replied to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets and mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has spiritual knowledge, to him more will be given. And actually, mine says spiritual knowledge here, but a lot uh, of translators say, For whoever has spiritual ears and eyes, whoever has the ability to take in with understanding... To him will more be given, and he will be furnished richly so that he'll have an abundance. 
but from him who has not, who doesn't have ears to hear and eyes to see with and take it in with understanding, even what he has will be taken away, which is exactly what happens. That word goes in, it doesn't mean anything, it's not connected to anything, you don't have any other understandings to connect it to. First thing you know, the world's going to come along and crowd it right out, and it's gone. Um, so he said, this is the reason that I speak to them in parables. Well, and that's because every one of us um, sees everything in images. You know, we have to have something to connect it to. And educators will tell you, you have to have prior knowledge in order for learning to take place. Mm-hmm. No learning takes place unless you have prior knowledge. So prior knowledge is like the hook on the wall, okay, in order for new learning to hang on that hook. If you don't have the hook, no new learning can can take root. So he's saying, you know, I use that prior knowledge in images because having the power of seeing, they don't see. So they have the ability to see with their arm, but they can't see it. And having the power of hearing, even with their spirit ears, they don't hear, nor do they grasp and understand. In them, indeed, is the process of fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, which said, You shall indeed hear and hear, but never grasp and understand. You shall indeed look and look, but never see and perceive. For this nation's heart has grown gross, fat and dull, and their ears heavy and difficult of hearing, and their eyes they have tightly closed. Lest, and that word there really shouldn't be lest. It should be so that by chance or perhaps they see and perceive with their eyes and hear and comprehend the sense with their ears and grasp and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. So so you have to understand the mysteries are buried here deep, but nobody with just earthly ears and eyes are going to be able to figure that out. It takes spirit ears and spirit eyes, and it takes that anointing power of the Holy Spirit. In 1 John, John says, you don't really have need of a teacher because you have the unction of the Holy Spirit, and he is the teacher, and he will show you all things. Um, But that unction of the Holy Spirit is the light that turned on in your dark little spirits so that we we can see. Um, You know, and then the fat comes out of our ears so that we can hear and then lay hold of deep things and understand. And then we're transformed by it. If, if you're not really transformed by what you're taking in, then it didn't really sink into your heart deep enough. And Lord knows, I mean, I have been there. Um, and, and really the Lord was just chewing on me. You know, I yet, when we realize the depth of the knowledge that's buried in this book, you know, oh my gosh, we never get to the end of it. You can't fathom everything that's buried here. But you're not going to find it. Um, these deep mysteries um, of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, they're all locked up and hidden as a treasure for those who are willing to seek them out. You have to go after it with a hungry heart in order to get it. Um, you know, Jesus just said, he said, if you want something from me, you're going to have to ask. You know, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Because anybody who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. And whoever knocks, the door will be open. But we have to make that first move. And that's part of working out our salvation. 
We have to do something on our part in order to appropriate all of that. Um, go to, yeah. I was just going to say that work out is appropriate. It's probably the best synonym for that phrase. Yeah, it really is. Work out and appropriate mm -hmm. as opposed to yeah. work. Right, good works, right. And you're exactly right. It's not about good works. That's already been done. We can't do any more on that. But we have to appropriate, yes. We have to bring it forth. Um, and if you don't know it's there, nobody's going to, you know, you can't, you can't do it. So let's just look at a couple of scriptures that talk about the mysteries. Go to um, 2 Timothy chapter 2. being spiritual when Jesus made that statement there had the disciples obtained spiritual knowledge they had not been born again no there were still dark spirits but it didn't mean that the secrets and the mysteries of God were not for them you know they had been preordained from the foundations of the world to be Jesus' disciples to okay. you know to be able to get that knowledge mm -hmm. so to you it's been given you know, mine said uh, you are permitted to know. There you so go. It's like God had you know opened it for them to know. Right. Um. So yeah. But for us, you know, we we need that light and we need that unction of the Holy Spirit um, to help us along. So Second Timothy two. Guess I better get there. Uh, Okay, start with verse 15. Just a couple verses here. Um, Study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, a workman who had no cause to be ashamed, um, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. But avoid all empty... Um, vain, useless, idle talk, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their teaching will devour it and will eat its way like a cancer or spread like gangrene. Um, I, I, you know, for years when I would read that scripture, it was study to show yourself approved. <clears throat> you know, so you think, okay, I'm studying to show myself approved, to show people that I'm a good, strong Christian. But, but the only one we have to be approved by is God. Study to show yourself approved to God. That you're hungry for the things of God. That you want to know those deep things of God. And um, avoid that empty talk. Um, I don't, and I know all of you have been there. You sit in Bible studies where the blind leads the blind. And they end up in the ditch more times than a few. And um, it makes me crazy. It makes me crazy. Um... Sweet people, well-meaning, but ever learning and never coming to the truth. Does that make sense? And that's what Second Timothy 3 says. They're ever learning, but never coming to the truth. And that frustrates me, you know, that they spend all that time ever learning, 
but they never get to the deep truths that are buried in in the word. And I don't have anything against Sunday school material, but a lot of Sunday school materials just skim, just right on the surface. It's just skim, and and yeah. I grew up thinking David C. Cook was an apostle or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't go to Sunday school for the longest time because I never got anything out of the David C. Cook books. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then you think, what's wrong with me that I'm not excited yeah. about this stuff? Yeah. Like, oh, that was, and that was the one that our church was supposed Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just stay so frustrated. You don't really know anymore when you went in than when you come out. You know, you just keep dancing around the same box. aggravated at every chapter and the stupid questions they ask. Yeah, exactly. Just for the sake of asking questions. Exactly. Um, they have materials at the jail like that. Some of the guys are... They, they can go through courses on their own, and um, they get certificates for them, and, and I think that's great, you know, but you have to have a King James Bible, so, I mean, uh, like an original King James Bible, so they can answer the questions, because they'll ask the question and then tell you the verse, and then you write the verse on the line, you know, so, yeah, yeah, so, um, um, you know, you, you ask them, so what did you learn in this? Hey, come join us, Steph. Do you all know Stephanie Poole? Hi. So happy you're here, girlfriend. Glad you made it. Yeah, but it's okay. It's okay. We didn't, we hadn't started too far. We're just getting started. We're talking about having spiritual ears to hear and spiritual eyes to see. Instead of just your regular ears, we have deep ears in our spirit that we can take in the truth. So we're just looking at scriptures that talk about the mysteries of God being buried in the word deep. Um, go to Mark 4. This is actually a repeat of what we just read in Matthew. Mark chapter 4. But I just like the way he says it here. So Timothy says, study to show yourself approved to God. And don't listen to those useless and vain teachers that take you nowhere. You know, you need to, you need to be careful about where you are and what you're listening to and what you're studying. Because you want to go deeper. You don't want to just hang out on the surface. So Matthew chapter... I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4. This is the sower sows the word. Well, I guess if I got to Mark, I'd do better. Er. Okay, Mark chapter 4. Here's Jesus explaining again. I just, I just like the way he said this. Um... Because this is us, guys. We've been entrusted with this. Verse 11. He said to them, It's to you have been entrusted the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That is the secret counsels of God which are hidden from the ungodly. But for those outside of our circle, everything becomes a parable. Um, in order that they may indeed look and look. And not see and perhaps perceive and may hear and hear but not grasp and comprehend. But perhaps happily they should turn again. And um, uh, 
um, it should be forgiven them. They'd be healed. But um, that verse there where it says, we've been entrusted, we've been given all these deep mysteries of God. Um, and they've been hidden for us, the kingdom of God, how to live in the kingdom of God. And that was, you know, when you look back and you look at little Nicodemus um, in John 3, he had listened to Jesus and he'd seen the miracles and heard about the miracles and he was hungry to find out something deeper. He wanted to figure that out. He wasn't interested in just the teaching on the surface. He came and he, he didn't know how to ask a question. So he just says, I know that you had to come from God because of the signs and wonders that follow you everywhere you go. That's all he could say. I know that much. And Jesus said, look, if you want to comprehend or lay hold of the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. You have to have a spirit birth. Your spirit has to be made alive to the things of God. And um, so I'm so thankful that um, that we've been made alive so that all these mysteries buried in here belong to us. But we just have to be sure that we're keeping our eyes in the right place and Really focusing on it. Go to Romans 16. Before we go to Romans, yeah. I just have something highlighted here and it popped up in okay. Mark 4, 424. Okay. And this is the way mine says it. Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. Mm-hmm. But to those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And I think how people, what's what's the of our congregation? What percentage of people go to Bible studies or Sunday school mm-hmm. or whatever? And you know, Jeff can give a really good sermon, but you can't dig into that because you're just listening. And that's right. It's just a twenty-minute. Yeah. Sermonette, but that's all he has time for, right. you know. Yeah. But how many yeah. people do desire to learn more? And and you know, they just are satisfied in yes. where they're at. Yeah. That doesn't I, I don't get that. Mm-mm. You know, that we have such a majestic God that's a way beyond my comprehension still. Yes. That I want to seek every little bit of knowledge of yeah. that I can. And where is that hunger? I, I'm with you yeah. on that. Yeah. You know, and there's so many opportunities to learn in this church. We yeah, have the weakest excuses. Yeah, we just don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. And it's sad because that's where the power is. When you start getting the word, like us around this table, pulling our knees up, and you know, no, they're not, and they they've never tasted it. So you know, to me, you have to taste that. it. Try it out. Yeah, get some of that. Mm-hmm. experience of yeah. what's available to them yes. that's what triggers the hunger then. that's exactly right and um, says, you know if you listen and you start to seek it you're going to get even more that's you, it you know you're not going to get a little bit of understanding yeah. but you're just going to get more and more and more yeah. here's the but thing you want, then you want more and more and yeah. more that's and right start, yeah. Yeah. Take that's exactly further, right start talking to God about it mm-hmm. instead of talking at God all right. the time in prayer or Talk to him about it, yeah. Start talking to him and right. with him. Yeah. And ask him questions and ask him for a deeper meaning and right. give it to you. Absolutely. But that's the whole thing. It it this is so such a deep truth.
treasure. I mean, wow. The goodness of God buried in this book. But every time you get one new little piece of learning, you know, then everything in the Bible changes. You can read the whole thing again because you have a new perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole Bible is brand new again on another level. Yeah. And um, I, I'm with you. I said, when you just start looking at numbers, we have about 650 members. And then there are another 300 that come actively to this church. 300, 350 that are active in this church. Yeah, almost a 1,000 people that are involved in this church. But then count the number in, on Sunday school roles. Mm-hmm. You know, and in Bible studies, yeah, compared, it it just it boggles your mind. Attendance. Yeah, yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it boggles your mind that you you know that there are that many people that are attached here, but so few that want to get deep in the Word. Are they good Bible studies? Though? I mean, yeah, we have great ones. Oh my gosh. Arch Whetstone, you know, he's author, teacher, he's been around for years. And, and the excuses um, are, well, I'm meeting people for lunch. Yeah. I've got to get out of here early to get for lunch. Yeah. Or, and I've had people Can't get say, my kids up in time to get here. Yeah, I can't. say, well... I'm satisfied with my simple faith. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to go any deeper. I mean, they've actually told mm-hmm. me that. Yeah. Wow. I've said that before in this class. I've heard that um, too. Uh, well, I've never heard that kind of teaching before. I didn't grow up with that kind of teaching, and you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just gonna stick with stick what I know. What I was yeah. taught before. Yeah. yeah. No, no sense of adventure there. Yeah, no sense of adventure there. And then I think there are people too who who would like to, but they feel like, oh, I don't know enough about the Bible to even get started, which that's heartbreaking too. You know. Um, yeah. You know, you don't know where to start. Whose Bible study would you go to? Where would you? You know what I heard somebody say the other day to me, and I was a little bit taken aback because she said I think I might be thinking about going to another church and I said oh I'm sorry to hear that and she said well um, I want to go to Bible studies but I I get the impression that you have to be invited now she said I get the impression uh, like we all have these little closed groups right and I tried to explain to her that some of the Bible studies I'm aware of that I even called and said, can I come to your Bible yeah. study? Uh, Judy Wright, for instance. Yeah. And I, I just would love to sit under her. She's such a sweetheart. Oh, God, she has such a sweet depth. To mm. and, but I called her one time. I'm brave enough to do that and say, can I? Sure. And she said, I would love to say come, but it's a house Bible study, and she's out of space. So I tried to explain to this person. Right. It necessarily wasn't closed groups but it's a spatial thing yeah and then i thought well maybe we need to start more bible studies you know uh, maybe or at least put the invitation out there better yeah you know mm-hmm. come to maybe we should start really just throwing the doors open and saying come we have so many sunday school classes and yeah. stuff come on or, we'd or love to have you that personal thing if yeah you know they're not attending you know right. encourage them mm-hmm. um but I go back to, I, I've also had friends that I, when I was in Karen's class, which I love, and um, she doesn't teach the Bible as much as she teaches Holy Spirit. 
principle. Right. You know, and that's great. I mean, it's just a different good, perspective. Good yeah. For me, because I don't, I, I have you for the in-depth Bible stuff, so that was really good. Mm -hmm. But I would, I invited people, and they would come, and then it was like you said, they, they, it's just too early, or they can't, you know, blah blah mm -hmm. blah. The excuses. Yeah. You know. So yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know where the hunger comes from. I don't know how you get people. You know, hungry taste and see the Lord's good. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. You know, it's I don't know concern. how. It's a concern because mm, it is. said it so many times. People aren't being taught. It's not that mm -mm. the teachable. There's a lot people. on television too, especially yeah. the internet. I mean, and yeah. all kinds of different yeah. preachers that are really good and really deep, and they take you in a whole different direction from yeah. what you're used to. I mean, yeah. right. That's what. Other than Sandy, that's what I do. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, there there is a lot out there, and I think people, and I know there's an overwhelming feeling for some people. I don't want to go because I can't, I don't, I'm not near where that can't. And that's another thing, you know? getting them mm -hmm. in the right slot. Right. You mm -hmm. know, yeah. where mm -hmm. they, you can start where they're at, as opposed right. to somebody walking in here, for instance, right. and trying to, like, Pick this up. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, really Christianity 101, Scripture 101 would be a great Bible study. It would be a great yes. Sunday morning, yes, it would. Um, Sunday evening Bible study class. Just learning the beginning to the end, how it's laid out, where you find things, you know, how you put it all together, that connection. I mean, um, I was just teaching. Man, I was doing so good at at the jail, I was just laying it out there for these guys, and finally one of them raised his hands and he said, "Can you just explain this Bible to me?" <laughs> I went, oh, okay. He said, "I don't get it. All these books and yeah." He said, "I just don't get it." You know, so we had to go all the way back to, you know, to to a little bit of history, mm -hmm. starting in Genesis, and then saying these are the books that talk about this. These talk about this. This is where we are. This is. You know, to lay it out as simple as we could, but you know, you assume so much, but you really need to, with a lot of people, you need to start. And take that King from James square version one. away from them. And hand them yes, hand them something else besides King James. I know it, isn't that the truth? We have a really nice, we have a, uh, at, the, at the jail, they have a new King James, which is really cool it's more street but it's made especially for the prisoners so it's very easy to read it's their it's their prison ministry bible so i mean they'll send us 80 free bibles a month kenneth copeland will yep and devotionals i know isn't that amazing what they do you know yeah and um and, and it's good, but you're right. Get that old King James, because that's what they used to get, and it was just garbage. They couldn't understand that to save their lives. You know, my problem, though, I learned a lot of the scriptures that I can quote are from King James, mm -hmm. but I'm never good at remembering where they are. Right. So now I've got another Bible, and I'm flipping back here, and that word's not in here. Yes. <laughs> it is frustrating, isn't it? I, you know, because now all the words are changed, and so... Yeah, no, and you can't find the words. The concordances don't line up at all. Oh, my. And when you go from small print to big print, and it used to be right here. And now it's four pages of it. That's all right, Bill. Psalms is still in the middle. Yeah. That's exactly right. What is it? One eighteen eight? Is that the middle? Or one, what is it? I forget what it is. But it's right there. He's middle of the Bible. You're exactly right. <laughs> no, absolutely. With me, I I use King James a lot, mm -hmm. but then 
one Sunday evening I was here and she was saying about the message, the uh-huh. contemporary. Uh-huh. Yeah. And oh, you read my, that so and try to put that with the King James. You're in different worlds. <laughs> Way out there but in the world. recognize it. Has no, you don't. No. I read it. I like parallel Bibles, though, yes. where mm-hmm. you can actually yeah. see. Yeah, like, yeah two or three different. King James, and here it is in NIV. Mm-hmm. Here it is mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. pages apart sometimes because the message will go like this in King James. Yeah. yeah. No, on, the Amplify. on your phone or on your computer, it isn't, though, because it moves it. Yeah. Right up there. Oh, really? On your computer. I want a phone big enough to put a Bible in. Mine is not fat enough. It doesn't hold it. I know. I have to just do it the hard way. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It won't. But there's not enough room in my computer. You don't have to. So. I mean, in my not in my computer. I've got a good one in my computer. You're reading it off the internet. You don't have to download it. On my phone. Right. Yeah, I mean, you just—it's oh, okay. like going to any other website. You're reading it there, not downloading it onto your. Device. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just totally ignorant about that. Absolutely ignorant. Isn't that a sad thing? Lord help us. Well, okay. Let's just move on. We'll go to Mark 16. I mean, not Mark. Romans 16, and then we're going to go to Ephesians 1. You know, the biggest mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's that's the biggest mystery that's hidden. And of all the mysteries that you and I run up against, that's the hardest to grasp. Christ in me. And that's where we were that's last, last week. week. <laughs> we were, yeah. That's exactly right. That's where we were last week. And it's funny because you can see the Holy Spirit in you, but to see Jesus in you, that's another thing entirely. I don't mean to yeah hold you up here, but I no. can tell you that I was working on this this week. Good for you. And I didn't get to the point where I could see myself laying hands on anybody and, and mm-hmm. see Jesus hand. But I kept saying, let me see you working in me. Yeah. And, that. Mm-hmm. and instead of just like doing things, he just kept showing me how much what I did bless somebody, which I don't usually keep track of. No, I you just, don't. You right. know, I do it, I leave. I do it, I leave. Yeah. But he's been quickening my spirit to say, that was me. There you go. Did you see the response? Mm-hmm. That was me. That's but awesome. That, that's a little step. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> it is. What we were talking about last week, Stephanie, I was sitting in church one Sunday, and, and, and the Lord just, I mean, out of the clear blue, you know, he said, can you see yourself in me? And I said, Yeah. You know, I, I can see me and you seated together in heavenly places, me hidden in you and all that. And he said, yeah, but can you see me in you? And I thought, wow, can I see Jesus in me? I said, I can see the Holy Spirit. And he said, no, can you see me in you? You know, can you see me ministering through you? Like, you know. When you lay hands, do you see Jesus laying hands on somebody? And I'm going, no, I don't. But show me. You know, and so that was everybody's homework last week. We're supposed to go home and just ask the Lord about that. Can you see Jesus in you? I can see me in him all day long. But I, but it's another thing entirely to see him in me. Yeah. So that's where we left things last week. We were all going home and chewing on that. So that's your homework. Okay, yeah, homework. Yeah. Mm. It's a mystery. 
you know it's a mystery and um and it was hidden from the world but it's not hidden from us um all right romans 16 are we there all right find verse 25 this is right at the end of romans Because even even redemption, even all of that was a mystery. Because we're going to go right into Ephesians 1 here in a minute. Just to show you how much everything was buried and why. Look at verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you in the faith, which is in accordance with my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery of the plan of redemption, which was kept in silence and secret for so long, but now is disclosed through the prophetic scriptures and is made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to the obedience to faith. Um, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. So uh, even God's plan of redemption was hidden. The disciples didn't really get it until after he was raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't even really get it until then. And then it was just that, OMG, look at this. It all goes. And all of a sudden, Peter's connecting the old and the new and finding the prophecies. And um, everything comes to life. But all of it was buried and, and hidden for the longest time. Go to Ephesians 1. You know, like in in Genesis one, or in Genesis, excuse me, in Genesis three, Jesus speaking to Satan. You know, he said, "I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed, the woman's seed." That's Jesus, and he's going to crush your head. He's going to destroy your rulership in the earth. And you will destroy his walk in the earth, his life in the earth. Well, from then on, Satan is looking for some ruler that's going to come and crush his authority. And, um, I mean, you know, if you look at it systematically, um, Satan is trying to snuff out anybody that would come close. When Moses came to deliver the children of Israel, all those thousands of babies, two years and under, were killed trying to destroy that deliverer that was coming. He knew something was coming, he just didn't know what. And then when Jesus came and the scriptures began to go forth, all of a sudden Satan had a glimmer, put it in the heart of the king to say, kill all the babies two years and under. Again, Satan tried to destroy any hint of any man who would come and destroy Satan's rulership in the earth. He, but he didn't know the secret. He wanted to just kill the man. And God knew that and set a trap for him. That mystery was hidden all the way up to Jesus went to the cross. Because if Satan had figured it out, he never would have crucified Jesus. Never would have put him on that cross. But as it was, he entered into Judas, you know, and Judas betrayed him, turned him in. And it was a downhill run from there. Satan had been sucked in and was absolutely destroyed. Because the minute Jesus got into hell, he just tore him up. 
and came up out of hell with the keys of hell and death. And um, but but Lord knows he wouldn't have done it if he'd known. And that's one of the reasons all this has been a mystery until now. And now it's laid bare for anybody that's willing to dig it out. But it was hidden for a reason. And and we are the ones that have the ears to hear and the eyes to see so that we can grasp those mysteries. But look at Ephesians 1 because that's what he's talking about here. In Ephesians 1. Look at verse 7. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption, deliverance and salvation through His blood, the remission of our offenses in accordance with the riches and the generosity of His gracious favor, which He lavished on us in every kind of wisdom and understanding. All of that was lavished on us through wisdom and understanding. That's so cool to me. Um, I don't know how many times I've read over that and, and not seen it. But it is in our wisdom and our understanding that we're able to work out that salvation. If we don't know it's there, we don't know we can lay hold of deliverance and protection and blessing. We don't, we don't even know we can do that if we don't know it's there. And so he lavishes on us every kind of wisdom and understanding so that he can make known those mysteries to us, which is so awesome. Okay, verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will and his plan in accordance with his good pleasure, which he had previously purposed and set forth in Jesus Christ, in him. He planned for the maturity of times and the climax of ages to unify all things and head up and consummate them in Christ. Things in heaven and things in earth um, and things on earth. Um, in him we also were made God's heritage. We obtained an inheritance. For we have been foreordained and chosen and appointed in accordance with his purpose who works out everything to his own will. Um, now go to, um, let me see. What I like I about verse 9, yeah. it's according to his good pleasure. Isn't that um, awesome? It's his pleasure to reveal this to us and give us the blessed life. Yes. It's not grudging. It's not mm -hmm. stingy. You don't have to beg him for it, but it delights him. Yes. Isn't that awesome? Yes. And um let me see if I can find what I'm looking for here. Alright, now go to First Corinthians chapter two, because this ties right in with it. I'm sorry, what was the reference? First Corinthians chapter two. And this ties in with that mystery. And you're right, it was his good pleasure to do that. So in James it says, if you like wisdom, ask him. And he gives liberally, liberally he gives you wisdom. Because he wants you to understand these mysteries. Um, so we're going to start reading with verse... Um, 
verse 4, and we'll just go to the end. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Not, not, not uh, blameless in that sense, but perfect as in mature. Okay, we speak this wisdom to people who are mature. Okay, this is um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, yeah, verse 7. So we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Oh, wait, let me just go back to 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, but not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that came to naught. In other words, Satan and his rulership that was absolutely brought to nothing in Jesus. We're not speaking about that worldly wisdom. 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Which none of the princes of this world knew because had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Mm -hmm. But as it is written, eye has not seen, and that's physical eye, nor physical ear heard. Neither have entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. If Satan had known that Jesus was going to come out of that grave alive and then go breathe on all the people up in that up in that little room and get them all born again and then on Pentecost baptizing the Holy Spirit 120 it was like trying to stamp out a forest fire he had one anointed man and by killing him and allowing him to be raised from the dead he set the whole world on fire with the Holy Spirit and if Satan had known that was God's plan he would never have put Jesus on the cross. But he, he fell right into God's trap, sucked him right in, and Satan fell for it. I've got him now, crucified him, put him in the grave, and he came right up out of that grave because he was blameless and destroyed everything Satan had. Um, verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So we have that Holy Spirit so we can understand those deep things of God. Our spirit ears are open and our spirit eyes are open so He can tell us those deep things. I love it. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's why Christians look so stupid to the world. You know, we, all, we look like dolts to the world. We do. In their eyes, we are totally ignorant of what's truth. Yes. And, um, yeah, and they have no idea 
No idea the depth of the knowledge of God. Yeah. And what we know that they can't possibly comprehend. Because God hid it Since they for us. can't comprehend it, it doesn't exist. That's right. That's right. Were you just reading from uh, King James? Yeah. I just read that from King James. Back up to 130. Mm, okay. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Yeah. In him, in Christ Jesus, we are made. NIV says Christ Jesus who has become for us, mm -hmm. has become for us wisdom from God. And that wisdom is our righteousness, our holiness. No, it's different. Wisdom comes from God. Our righteousness comes from God. Our sanctification comes from God. And our and our redemption comes from God. All of those. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah. They're all separate. Every one of them is separate. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Pretty awesome. I love that. So, one huge problem that even born-again believers have is we tend to hold on to our own under old understandings. Um, you know, we tend to want to define God by our own experiences and then extrapolate wrong conclusions. And then in our stubbornness, we then interpret Scripture through error in our own minds. Lord knows, God's had to straighten me out more times than a few. But we end up corrupting our own tree, you know, um, just by that. So we got to practice, you know, not looking at the world so much, getting our eyes off of what's happening around us, and then um, getting it back on what God says. And um, so... This paradigm, last paradigm was Joshua, okay, for working out our salvation. This paradigm is going to be Job. Job is our paradigm. Um, because he was a believer, and he was a man of strong faith, and he was in covenant with God, and that faith was counted to him as righteousness. Job was a man who knew God and believed in that covenant and walked in that covenant, and God had blessed his socks off. Now, historians believe that Job lived um, um, just about the same time that Abraham did um, in different areas. Job lived um, in the area which is, it was south of what was then the Dead Sea. You know, the Jordan River just runs right down that eastern bank of the of of what's Israel now. And at the bottom of the Jordan River there, there's that Dead Sea. Well, right there south of the Dead Sea where eventually Sodom and Gomorrah would pop up, they weren't there back in Job's day. I mean, well, they were, excuse me, they were in Job's day. So Job lived down in that area. That's where he lived. And um, the men who were talking to him were... Um, <clears throat> Edomites, you know, they would have been that, that, that group of people down in that area. But it was a godless area where Job lived. He was just like Abraham living in Ur. Um, it was a godless place. And there's this one man who was looking for God, searching for God. And he, because of his faith, had ears to hear and eyes to see in the spirit realm. Um, and of all the people there, God could speak to Abraham and he heard him. And, and God says, get out of there, Abraham, and go. 
So Job is like that. Job, for the most part, has been a man who knew God, even in the middle of all this godlessness. He was a believer. So let's go to the book of Job. Makes you wonder, other than from above, how he would have even known about God. Being there, he was a believer. And well, God, and the same thing with Abraham. But it. it <clears throat> They were all, you know, they they came through a descendancy from from Noah, um, and they were all taught about God. I mean, from the flood. Um, but um, most people turned their backs away. Some didn't, you know, and the few that didn't, um, God could speak to them. But they all knew about the flood, and they all knew about Noah. You know, that that would have been family history, if nothing else. But, um, yeah, historians will tell you that that was their foundation for a covenant with God. That they remained in, in Noah's covenant where everybody else left it, you know, and went their way. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's hard to just say, but that's their historic assumption. Um, because they all were direct descendants of Noah. And, um... um so, yeah, when you you know, it's a good thing we did Genesis. So we got all those family lines, you know, and you kind of see where everybody came from. But when Noah got off that boat with three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, everybody stayed right in that area. Everybody spoke the same language. Everybody lived in that same area for the longest time. Um, and right there near Baghdad... You know, they built the Tower of Babel near what we would call Iraq. And that's when the languages were confounded and that's when people began to scatter north, south, east, and west. Mm -hmm. So from there, you know, even the people of the Tower of Babel knew about God. But they just said, you know what, we're going to be, we're going to build our temple and we're going to be greater than God. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be our own God. Where have we heard that before? Yeah, oh, no kidding. Where have we heard that before? Mm Mm-hmm. So here's Job, and um, look at Job verses 1 through 3. He was a believer, uh, Job 1, chapter 1. He was a believer, he was a man of strong faith and in covenant with God, and his faith was counted to him as righteousness, just like Abraham. Because the Ten Commandments hadn't been given, there wasn't any law. So God worked through men with faith, like Noah like Abraham, and, and through Job. But Job did what you and I do so often. And that's why I want to go through this, because um, I could really, I could see myself in Job, just like saying a little while ago, I got those silly allergies. I don't have them. They're not mine. Not taking them. But you know, that, that stuff comes out of your mouth really fast. And um, so... Um, he walked in faith, and um, he was supremely blessed. And um, so let's just read the first three verses. There was a man in the land of Uz. Now, Uz is right there, right where Sodom and Gomorrah were, okay? That's where Uz is, was. Uz was. <laughs> oh, my Lord, what is that? <laughs> That's where Uz was. Okay, we got it. Gosh. Okay, Lord. And his name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, 
one who reverently feared God and abstained from and shunned evil because it was wrong. Um, so there he is, a man who was counted as righteous before God because he believed in God. Okay? And he, and he feared and honored God and reverenced God. He knew enough to offer sacrifices. Now, back in that day, you have to understand, there wasn't, the law hadn't been given. The Ten Commandments didn't exist. So all the sacrifices that were offered were sacrifices of worship and praise to God. They were um, to honor God, to um, say thank you, to... That's what it was for. That's what the sacrifices were for. And um, like the first fruits, that's what got Cain and Abel in trouble. You know, It was a thank you to God. You thank Him with the first, the best of what you had, your first fruits. And Cain just brought some old vegetables out of his garden. You know, Abel brought the first of his sheep, the you know, the best, and offered them to God. So it was a heart matter with God, but it was always about praise and worship and thanksgiving back then. It wasn't a sin offering. Because there wasn't sin wasn't imputed back then, there wasn't any law. Okay. So Job um was supremely blessed. Look at the next two verses. And there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. And he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very great body of servants. So that this man was the greatest of all men of the East. So he rivaled Abraham for the greatest blessings of God in his life. He had everything. And then the world just starts to creep in. Now look, if you keep your eyes, your spirit eyes on God and on His covenant, and you close your spirit eyes and ears to distress and worry and anxiety, you're going to be okay. You're going to be able to stay the course no matter what the storm is blowing around you. But like Adam who had never known anything of God but his love and his goodness and his grace. The minute he took his eyes off of God and put them on the world and his spirit eyes were closed, he became afraid and he began to imagine a vengeful and an angry God. Even though that God had never presented himself to Adam, the minute Adam took his eyes off of God and put it on that fruit and off of God and put it on servitude to Satan, everything changed. Okay. So Job did the same thing. In his blessing, he got fearful. Now, it doesn't say that Satan put the fear there, but that's that's the source of fear. Satan is the source of all fear in men. Um, he perverted Adam's faith and turned it into fear right there in the Garden of Eden. We hid because we were afraid. Okay? And God had never given them reason to be afraid. He, they didn't know a vengeful God. But it was all perverted. So the same thing happened to Job. He took his spirit eyes off of God and off of his covenant, closed his spirit ears, and he took fear and distress over his children's behavior. Because he didn't think it was good. It wasn't acceptable to God. So he got worried about their behavior. Now this is interesting to me. Because 
Where there is no law, sin is not imputed. Okay. But Job got afraid that their evil doings, their sin, would offend God greatly. And that he'd pay the price for it. He got afraid of losing everything because of the way his children were behaving. So he kept offering these sacrifices to God over and over. I'm praising you, Lord. I'm going to bless your heart. I'm going to, you know, trying to buy God's favor in the face of what his kids were doing. He began to trust what he would do as opposed to what God was doing in his life all along. So faith was lost and fear from the enemy replaced it. So look at verses 4 and 5 here. His sons used to go and feast in the house of each on his day, his birthday. And in turn, they invited their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Well, when the days of their feasting were over, Job sent for them to purify and hallow them. And he rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them. For Job said, and underline that, Job took the thought, God, I mean, the devil's going to... Yes, the devil is going to put thoughts in your head. But you don't have to take them. If you speak it, you take it. Mm -hmm. But if the thought comes and it's not godly, then don't take it. Don't speak it. Okay, just don't speak it. But Job said, it may be. See, it wasn't even sure that they did anything wrong. He wasn't even sure that anything was going on that was wrong there. He said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed and disowned God in their hearts. And thus Job did at all such times. Every time he spoke it, he spoke it, he spoke it. And he wasn't even sure what went on at their parties. I don't know why Dad didn't go to the birthday party. <laughs> but um, he didn't go to the birthday parties. So he said, maybe they're doing terrible things over there. Well, men, as soon as they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, determined for themselves what was good and evil. Mm-hmm. He didn't like it, so he assumed God would Right. He didn't like it, so he assumed God wouldn't like it. He had no idea what God thought about it. He had no earthly idea. But he took that thought, okay? So, <clears throat> Satan now has got Job in his place. And Satan actually can't wait to go before God and and uh, talk about Job. You know, so he goes to, to God and God says, Job's a righteous man. He's my man. And, and God spoke good things about him. God wasn't mad or upset about his sons or anything else. He loved Job. But Satan said, yeah, well, if you would curse him, if you would do terrible things to him, he would curse you back. You know. And God said, listen, and, and God was right. Legally, everything in the earth was Satan's because Adam had given it to him. So he said, everything that's in the earth is yours, but you can't touch his life. That's mine. And so Satan went out and wiped him out, completely wiped him out, and even got him to the point of deathly illness, painful, excruciating boils all over his body. Um, horrible way to be. And look at what Job says about it. At the end of chapter 3, when everything has happened to him, um, look at what Job finally realized. 
verses? We're going to start with verse um, 23. And he's talking about what happened to me. God had hidden me in his ways and had hedged me in. But here I am. Look at verse 23. Why is the light of day given to man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? So why did this come to me? For my sighing comes before my food and my groanings are poured out like water. And here we go, verse 25. Because the thing which I feared has come upon me. That of which I am afraid befalls me. I was not or am not at ease, nor had I or have I had rest, nor was I or am I quiet. And trouble came and still comes upon me. So this is what we do. We have spirit ears and spirit eyes. But when the world is in front of us and it's bigger than God, our spirit ears and spirit eyes just shut. And all of a sudden, we're seeing everything with our flesh eyes, hearing everything with our flesh ears, and fear comes. We get into worry and fear and anxiety and frustration, sometimes anger. All kinds of things come. So, so he fully realized what he, where he missed it. He said, what I feared had come on me. But the question is, why did he fear? You know, why did he allow that to happen? The world was just bigger than God for that moment. And that's what happens to all of us. And it happens to me. I mean, quickly, you can find yourself angry and frustrated about things. And, you know, you lose your focus. You lose your sense of everything. Rather than looking at God, who's bigger than any issue, and going right there to begin with, we all, we, you know, we go, ooh. So that's what he did. And when he opened that door... The devil had a perfect legal right to go in and destroy everything. And he did. Thinking that by doing that, he was going to drive Job away from God. But this is what Job knew. I really haven't done anything wrong. If anybody did anything wrong, it's my kids. I didn't. My kids might have, but I didn't. I was trying to stay right. I was trying to do it right. And he hung on to that one tiny shred of truth through this whole ordeal. And he has these three well-meaning friends, okay? Well, because he got into fear, the blessings just choked off. God couldn't get the blessings to him. And now it's got his church buddies come over. And honest to Pete, if it isn't the most perfect example of church buddies I've ever known in my life, this is it. They know just enough to be dangerous, okay? But it's Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. Okay, Bildad, um, this is what history says about him. Eliphaz is the son of Esau. Yeah, descendant of Esau, immediate descendant. So Esau would have been alive during this time. But Eliphaz came from Esau. Okay, Bildad um, um, was, um, it says he was a, the tyrant of the Sukkites. Um, Shua was the son of Abraham by Keturah. So, Bildad comes out of Keturah's bunch. That's Abraham's second wife that he married when he was 137. So, Bildad is one of those people. And then Zophar was a Miniite, which was a descendant of Naaman, 
um, who is a descendant of Cain. All right, so he comes from Cain's line up through, where the other two did come through Abraham's line through um, uh, Noah, and then through um, Shem, and then okay. So you got some that come from the line, the, the line of the faithful, which is going to be Jesus' line. Then you got some that aren't. And they all are there in Edom, or in that place where, which eventually becomes Edom. And all that unbelief with Sodom and Gomorrah and all those other little towns that are doing terrible things, and that's where they are. Um, and it says, history says, now this is just tradition, but it says that, um, that us was a son of Aram. This is the town where he was, who was a direct descendant of Noah, okay? And and through Shem. So there was some godly belief in that area, but it was slim. It was slim to none. So then you have these well-meaning friends and they all come and they say, "Oh, Job, don't you know you did something wrong? You had to sin and God cursed you." Even his wife said, you know, why don't you just curse God back and die? I mean, she'd had it. It didn't take her very long to sell him out. It was like chapter 4. She was already saying, just curse God and die. I've had enough of you. You know, going, wow. Well-meaning people. Yeah, so he's standing alone in all this well-meaning stuff. And these guys go through all this psychobabble for 30 chapters. Telling Job, you had to have done something wrong. Because God takes care of sinners. He's going to deal out the punishment. He's a vengeful God. You obviously did the wrong thing. And Job's going, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I, I am an innocent man here. But then he goes, well then if I'm so innocent and I'm so good, then where is God? Where is God in the middle of all this? Why isn't he here helping me out? Okay? But his friends were going, no, God is the source of the curse. He's here. But he's just cursing you. And he afflicts those that he's angry with and he's wrathful. And God's trying to teach you some lessons. And um, you can't really trust his word because he's subject to change on a dime, you know. And that's, I mean, you know, if you read this, you're going to hear all that in there. But honest to Pete, haven't you heard it at church? You know? You're laying on your back, sick in bed in the hospital, and somebody comes in and says, well, I'm so sorry, I don't know what God's trying to teach you. Yeah, I do that. You know, but just learn the lesson and move on. Instead of saying, Jesus took your sickness and bore your disease. But that's what they do. And um, so we get all this churchy talk from these guys. But what they've done is they've twisted and corrupted everything. And that's what Satan does. You remember when he tempted Jesus? Um, in the desert for 40 days. Every time Satan came to him, he misquoted scripture. He said, why don't you just jump right off this temple wall? Because God said his angels will bear you up. Lest you dash your foot on the stone. And Jesus said, just get out of here. You know, it, it's, that's not what he said. But, but Satan twists everything, just like he did with Eve. He said, really, did he really say that you would die? No. What he really meant was that God, you'd be like God if you eat of that fruit, you know. Well, she already was like God, which, what was that, you know. But, but he twists everything, and that's what they did. They didn't mean to be 
Satan's deliverers of the message, but they turned out to be. And we have them in the church. Well-meaning people who absolutely do not know God. And they tell you the ugliest things about God. You know, well, this is your fault. I don't know what you did, but, you know, just confess your sins and, and it'll all be taken care of. So, Job gets really tired of fighting. I mean, he's fighting not only his own doubts, but now he's listening to all this well-meaning friend talk. And it's like the fruit that was coming out of those guys was so poisonous and so harmful. It had completely eroded Job's faith. I mean, he was done. He was down to nothing. Okay. He listened to the visitors. He didn't enter into agreement with them. And he didn't accept their premise. But he could not get his mind and body off the focus of his great suffering. Because that's all those friends talked about. That's all they want to talk about. So he couldn't get changed. And, and we do that. If something is just in your face, in your face all the time, it's really hard to get that off your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care how much you know about God. Your spirit eyes and your spirit ears just shut down. Mm-hmm. It's like, God, where are you? I need some wisdom here. Speak to me. I need something. But you cannot always hear what what God has to say. So go to Job 30. That fear and everything else had absolutely choked all the life out of Job. He was right on his last legs. And so he cries out here, like, Why, where are you, God? I've tried to do everything as best I could as, as I knew how to do it. Look at verse 15. Job 30, 15. Terrors are turned upon me, my honor and reputation They chase away like the wind, and my welfare has passed away as a cloud. In other words, he's a laughing stock. Used to be all that and a bag of cookies, and now he's lost everything, and people are laughing at him. Yeah, where's your God now? And now my life is poured out within me, and the days of affliction have gripped me. My bones are pierced with aching in the night season, and the pains that gnaw gnaw me take no rest. By the great force of my disease, my garment is disguised and disfigured, and it binds me about like a collar of my coat. God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. And then he says, I cry to you, O Lord. You do not answer me. I stand up, but you only gaze indifferently at me. You have become harsh and cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you keep me alive only to persecute me. You just go from bad to worse until you start to believe what you hear, even if you know better. And Job had gotten there. He had just gotten to the end of himself. Um, Look at 31. Go to verse 31, the first eight verses there. He's talking about his covenant. And he said, I haven't been lustful with anybody. I haven't done any sinning like that. I haven't done anything to break covenant with you. 
I dictated a covenant, an agreement to my eyes. How then could I look lustfully on a girl? Somebody said that to him. They said, you probably are looking at women. For what portion should I have from God above if I were lewd? And what heritage from the Almighty on high? Does not calamity befall the unrighteous and the disaster and disaster the workers of iniquity? Doesn't God see my ways and count on my steps? If I walk with falsehood or vanity, or if my foot is hastened to deceit, well, let me be weighed in a just balance, and let him weigh me that God may know my integrity. If my step has turned out of God's way and my heart has gone the way my eyes invited, of any spot um, has stained my hands with guilt, then let me sow and another eat. Yes, let the produce of my field and my offspring be rooted out. Um, And so he says, if I have sinned, then yes, I would deserve it. But he's saying to God, "I I haven't done those things. So why is this happening to me? He completely lost his vision in his great suffering. But God bless Elihu. Um, so Job was in this great war between good and evil. And this is the other thing that we forget a lot of times. We really are in a war. We're in a battle. And Satan very much wants to wipe us out. And he is looking for any chink in our armor. And the quickest chink he can find is the one that makes us take our spirit ears and our spirit eyes off of God. Once we close those spirit ears and spirit eyes and start looking at the world in front of us, he's got us. It's one of his greatest um, tricks. In that first parable where we started, he uses he uses um, disasters tragedies, worries, anxieties to steal all the word out of our heart, to steal everything from us and blind our eyes and stop up our ears so we can't hear God. And once he does that, he's got us. And boy, have we all fallen into that trap. You know, when everything just gets so bad, you just want to go, oh, you know. However, thank God, we've gotten to the place in our lives where we go, no, wait, let me just get centered again. Let me just get centered. We know how to do that. But the bulk of the church doesn't know how to do that. They don't know how to get centered. But here comes little Elihu. God bless Elihu. Um, And Elihu stands up to all these guys. He says, look, I'm just a kid. And you let me come along. And I've been listening to this horse hockey all this time. We've got to stop here. But um, he says, I've been listening to all this horse hockey, and now I'm about to say a few things, and I hope you'll listen to me. And Elihu takes Job's eyes off of the world and puts them back on God. He reminds him about who God is. And once Elihu gets his mind off of his circumstances, the eyes of his understanding and the ears of his hearing open, and all of a sudden God can speak to him. But God can't speak to him when his ears and his eyes are closed. So he has to wait for the opportune moment. And he won't, you know, that's exactly what he does with us. He waits for the opportune moment to do that. Okay, we'll stop there and we'll pick up the exciting next adventure with Elihu next week. Wow. All right. Yeah, and see how Elihu saves the day.
But if Job isn't a perfect picture of us every day, I don't know who is. Just like last night, all I could hear was myself coughing in the night. I'm going, poor me, not getting any sleep, got church tomorrow. I wish I could just stop this coughing. What's wrong with me? I can't get my heel in here. You know how that is? He didn't. He was such a sweetheart. He kept laying his hands on me and praying in the night. I could feel his hand go over there every now and then. I don't know whether he's just trying to shush me or what. I'm sure he was praying in the spirit. You be quiet over there. Yeah, he was. He was a champ. Oh my gosh. No, he wasn't. Uh uh. No, I felt bad for Bill. He did a good job though. Oh my. He didn't complain. No, he didn't complain. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.